Are you ready for the word this morning? Yeah, awesome. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for the opportunity to gather in the name of Jesus. God, we want to declare in this place that you reign, God. You reign, Jesus. That you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. And God, we come here to acknowledge that, to celebrate you, and also to encourage one another. And Father, we pray now that through this message that you would speak through me, that you would give us ears and hearts that are open to hear from you, that you would anoint me with this task of presenting your message. Father, use me for your purpose and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Fee, can I have that little thingy, please? Thank you. That's all right. Oops, lost the bottom. Thank you so much. The little clicker helps me go through the slides. As a pastor, I, as a pastor, I have the privilege of, of journeying with people through, through some of the most difficult times of their lives. And, that, and, and, and one of those difficult times could be a, can be and has been a funeral. And as I have the privilege of being asked to do funerals, I pretty much facilitate what happens. Regularly, I, I know the person that's passed or I've heard about them. But whenever I sit and listen to the family and hear the stories of a person's life, or, or I sit in that funeral service and hear the eulogies, I am really struck and blown away by the people, by the person who's just died, by their life, and, and, what, and what's said about them. We hear stories of really the, the fruit of their life. We hear stories of their, their, their character, what they did, the influence they had on the people in the room and, and other people throughout the world. And if they're a Christian, we hear about their faith in God and how it was a really important part of their lives. And, and as I hear these stories, it, it makes me reflect on my life and my funeral. And it makes me think, so if I died today, what would they, what would they say about me at my funeral? What's the fruit of my life? What would they say about my character? What would they say about my achievements? What would, they, what would they say about my influence I've had on others? And, and, and what would they say about my relationship with God? How would those who are speaking about me describe my relationship with God? Have you ever thought about that? You haven't thought about that? Well, Mark, think about it right now. If you died today, Mark Reed, how would people describe your character, your achievements, your influence, and your relationship with God? Have a think about it. Have, everyone have a think. If you died today, hopefully you don't, because if you died in the middle of a church service, it, we'd have to stop it, we'd have to call an ambulance and a wreck morning tea, so don't die right now, all right? That wouldn't work. After church might be okay, but right now, no. Um, if you died today, if, 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 um, how would people describe you? Have a think. How would they describe your character, your achievements? your relationship with God. Turn to the person next to you and tell them what you think. Go for it. How would they describe you? How would they describe you? If you're sitting next to your spouse, maybe you can tell them what you're going to say at their funeral. Alrighty, let's come back. Let's come back. 
Was that a positive experience or a negative experience for you right now? Negative? Positive? Who thinks that was positive? Who thinks that was negative? Not many hands. Now, you know what? You can't control what someone says at your funeral unless you write it down. But even if you write it down, they could change it. They could change it, right? You can't control what someone would say about you at your funeral. But what you can do, because you're not dead yet, is that you can influence what's said at your funeral starting today for the rest of your life. Wherever you're at today, if, if, if you weren't happy with what's going to be said at your funeral today, well, you can change it by making a decision today to live differently in order for people to talk about your relationship with God, your character, your influence on others, your achievements. You can live differently today, which will influence what they say about you at, the, at your funeral. Jesus talks about the fruit of someone's life in the parable of the sower. In the parable of the sower, we, we read about how a sower throws seed on different types of soil. The first soil is the path, the birds eat it up. That reminds the meaning of that, Jesus says, are people who hear the word and then Satan takes the message away and the person doesn't believe. The second type of people are those that hear the word, receive it, but then when trouble or persecution comes, they throw away what they believed. I'm not going to believe this anymore. The third type of people are those who receive the message with joy and they start living their life for Jesus, but then they get distracted. The weeds, the thorns grow. And they get distracted by wealth and worries of life and other things that rather than living for Jesus, they get their focus on these things and these things take their attention. But then the fourth soil, and this is where Jesus wants us all to be, is the soil where people receive the word of God and live a fruitful life, 30, 60, 100 times that which was sown. I'm going to click through this and this is what it says. But the seed falling on good soil, this is Jesus telling the parable from Matthew chapter 13. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces the crop yielding 100, 60, or 30 times that which was sown. And that is the will for my life. That is the will for your life. Jesus wants me and he wants you to live a fruitful life. We also see it in John 15. Jesus says this, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that does not, that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Friends, God wants you to bear fruit in your life. God wants you to live a life of fruitfulness. So what is this fruitfulness? Let me give you a definition of what a fruitful life looks like. Fulfilling the purpose Jesus has for your life. Fruitfulness is fulfilling the purpose Jesus has for your life. Let me break it down into three parts. Number one, Jesus' desire is that you have a thriving relationship with God. Number two, personal transformation. And number three, he wants you to live a life of influencing others. Over the next three times I speak, I'm going to look at each one of these three things. Number one today is we're going to look at a thriving relationship with God. At the end of your life, you get to your funeral, and people, if you're, if you're a Christian here this morning, if you're a person, you've committed your life to Jesus, when you get to the end of your life, and yet your funeral, at your funeral, how would someone describe your relationship with God? Right now, how would they describe it? And let's say you live for another 40, 50, 60, whatever years, or 10, 15, Mr. X, 
Mr. Rex is 89 over there. 89 going strong, Mr. Rex. He turns 90 next year. We're going to have a party at the church for him. Amen? Yeah. 10 more years, Mr. Rex. 100. What do you think about that? No. <laughs> so in a few years, you live a few more years. How would, how would, you, how would you want people to describe your relationship with God? How would you want them to describe it at your funeral? A relationship with God that is growing, where you were dependent upon him, where Jesus was the center of your, of your world, where you lived a life that said, God, I want to honor you every day. Is that how you want it to be described? Now, a relationship with God starts when you become a Christian. See, before you're a Christian, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 that every person before they're a Christian is dead to God. They, they have no relationship with God. There is, the relationship is dead. Ephesians chapter 2 says that. But then Ephesians chapter 2 goes on and says in verse 3, or no, verse 3, or I think it's verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ in a relationship with God. And it's as you become a Christian, you then begin... A relationship with God. And as the Bible talks about our relationship, it, it describes it in many ways. The Bible describes our relationship with God firstly as a servant, where we are God's servant. Jesus calls us his brothers. We are described as ambassadors. We're described as friends. But we're also described as the closest type of relationship that we have on planet Earth. In Ephesians chapter 5, the Bible says that our relationship with God, if you're a Christian this morning, is like a marriage relationship. Just as we have the husband and wife, Jesus is the husband and the church is the bride. Men, you are the bride of Christ. Women, you are the sons of God. Yeah? Is that okay? Son meaning a strong place, inheritance in the family, authority in the family. And men, we are the bride of Christ. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ Love the church, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Um, it's, the, uh, the, our marriage union is the closest relationship that we have on planet Earth. Well, it should be. It's not always the case, but ideally it should be. It should be this wonderful connection, tightness, where it's the most unique thing, intimate, where that person knows the most about you. They're the one who knows your feelings. Your thoughts, all that goes on, that's supposed to be that, that type of relationship. And that's how God describes his relationship with us. That it's supposed to be like a marriage where God knows our hearts and our dreams and our desires. And we know God's heart and his dreams and his desires and we are linked. I've been married for 13, almost 14 years. I always got to check. Almost 14 years in July. And we're going to be in the UK to celebrate our 14th anniversary. That's not the intention, but that's, well, let's, let's claim that. We're going to be selling our 14th um, anniversary in, in London in, in the UK. And, and, and I can honestly say that Michelle is my best friend. There's no one to me closer on planet Earth than Michelle. I just love being around her. She just makes me be happy. As long as she's happy, I'm happy. Happy wife, happy life. So 99% of the time... I just love being around her, and, 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 and I come home from meetings and my day, and I go, Bleh, this is the day, Shell, and she talks about her day. It's just a wonderful, wonderful thing. It really is. Thank you for being an amazing wife. 
And, and, and that's like a picture that we see of us and God. The Bible also, it, it, it's not only a husband-wife relationship, not only servant, not only ambassador, not only friend, not only brother, but the Bible also describes us, our, our relationship with God, like a father and a child. In 1 John 3, 1, it says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. Friends, we are God's children. If you have kids, you're blessed to have kids. You know what that, how tight, and it should be. Not always, again, not always the case, but ideally, it's this wonderful, tight relationship with your kid. I mean, I, as preparing this talk, I was thinking about my kids, and I just adore them. I rave about them. They are raveable. Is that, is that a word, raveable? It is now. I rave about my kids, and I tell people how amazing they are, because they are amazing kids, but I just adore them. When they are upset, something happens in here that I don't like. When they succeed, something happens in here that celebrates. And you know what? My kids cost me thousands and thousands and thousands. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that because I just adore my kids. And, and that's me as this earthly dad who gets it wrong, who hasn't got always the best interest at heart. But God, who loves us more than I could ever love my kid, who has our best interest at heart all the time, that's his care for us as his children. Friends, the relationship we have with God is so unique. We are in a marriage relationship with Jesus. That he is our father, that we are his sons and we are his daughters. We're his servants, we're his brothers, we're his ambassador. God and us are, we're tight. God and us are so tight. But just like in any relationship, we can have a close relationship with God or a distant relationship with God. Now, our standing doesn't change. We're still the son. We're still the bride of Christ. We're still his ambassador. We're still the servant. We're still the brother. We're still a friend. But we may not be as close as God would like us to be and we would like to be. I have um, cousins on my dad's side. Um, Their names are Marcus and Justin. I haven't seen them for 20 years. We saw them growing up, but I haven't seen them. I don't know what they're doing. No idea what's going on in their worlds. Haven't seen it for 20 years. Now, their standing hasn't changed. They're still my cousins through my dad's sister's kids. They're still my cousins in law, in the, in the side of the law, but I have very, very little relationship with them. And friends, it can be the same with you and God. Your standing hasn't changed. You're still the son of God, daughter of God. You're still in the marriage relationship. You're still his son, but you may not be as close as God would want you to be. And friends, if you want a thriving relationship with God, one that's growing, you've got to be tight. You've got to be in relationship. Think about a healthy relationship you currently have. Could be a friend, could be a parent, could be a spouse, could be a child. What does that relationship look like? What does a healthy, thriving relationship look like? Turn to the person next to you. Discuss. How would you describe a thriving relationship with someone? What does a thriving relationship look like? You like your answers? Go. Open, honest. So communication. Open, honest. What else? 
Spending time together. What else? Sorry, helping out, serving. Angela, was that you? Respecting each other. What else? Be yourself. That's awesome. Isn't it nice for you to be yourself around your husband or your wife? You can just, oh, it's me. <laughs> Everyone else, you've got to sort of look nice and stuff, but, oh, it's me. Anyway, another thing? Being there for them. Another thing about a thriving relationship. Yeah, they challenge you. Yeah, I like that. Loving. Other back? Sorry? Say thank you. You're appreciative. Really good. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. Stephen just said thank you to his wife. That's beautiful. Well, friends, I'm going to share with you five things that I think are vital for a th- thriving relationship with God. Write this down if you've got a pen and paper, you've got a phone. Five things that I think that are going to help you in a thriving relationship with God. Just like in any relationship, we've got to work on it. We've got to build on it. It doesn't just happen. It takes time. It takes energy. And the same with God. If you want a thriving relationship with God, you've got to invest in it. And my first thing is this. Essentials for a thriving relationship with God. Number one, you've got to talk to Him. Talk to Him. Like in any relationship, communication is vital. When we talk to someone, we share our opinions, we share our feelings, we share our actions, our dreams. And it's the same with God, friends. God wants to know what's going on in our world. Now, as I was preparing this, I thought, but doesn't God already know us before we pray it? And the answer is what? Absolutely. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. That's what the scripture says. Jesus says that. So why should we pray? Well, the reason we pray is because it tells God that we are dependent upon him. That it says, God, I need you in my life. I'm telling you this stuff because I firstly, I want a relationship with you, but I need you. This is the stuff that's going on in my world, God. I need you there. Make a difference in my life. But another reason why we should pray is because when we pray, God moves. It says this in James 5. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, you might think to yourself, well, I'm not very righteous. Well, if you're in Christ, you are righteous, meaning if you're a Christian, Jesus has dealt with your sin, therefore you are seen as right in God's sight. So as a Christian, your prayers are what? Powerful and effective. God moves when we pray. Talk to him. Tell him what you need. Ask him. God moves when we pray. That's number one. Talk to God. Second one. Listen to God. Just like in any relationship, it needs to go the other way. Men, you need to talk to your wives. Don't just allow that noise to come this way. You need to... Don't say that out loud. (laughs) Allow those words to sink in and listen and feedback. But you also got to share how you're going, men. You need to feedback. That was a bit of fun. I was being fun. Don't take it poorly, please. (laughs) Jesus, people are walking out. Two ladies just walked out. See what I just did? John chapter 10, verse 27 says this. My sheep, this is Jesus talking about him being a shepherd. He says, my sheep listen to my voice. We're the sheep. We're his people. He's our shepherd and we are called to listen to God's voice. How does God speak? He speaks through an inner voice. He speaks through dreams. He speaks through visions. He speaks through peace in our spirit. He speaks through unsettledness. I've had a number of times where God has spoken to me in my life about pivotal moments where I haven't heard a booming voice like at the baptism of Jesus, but I've heard an inner voice. I've shared this story many times with with, with our church. In 2007, I was walking around the backyard. I wasn't the pastor of the church. I was on staff. We had a pastor. 
And I heard God say to me, Nathan, you'll be leading the church next year. I went, what was that? It wasn't a booming, it was, in, it was an inner voice, but, but I knew it didn't come from me. And that night I get a phone call from one of the leaders saying the pastor's stepping out. Nathan, you'll be leading the church next year, which gave me a great encouragement. Another time, Michelle and I were selling a property. And, and the, our property was to sell offers over $480,000. And, and, and it came to the first open house. And, and the real estate agent said, the chances are you'll get an offer, it will sell today. I went, okay, 480, what are we going to do? God, how much do I sell it for? And the number dropped into my heart, 502. Okay, 502. After the open house, I get a phone call from the real estate agent. You have two bidders. They both put in 480. I will get, she said, I'll go back to them and find out what they do. We had 490 and 500. And she said, look, I'll go back one more time, ask them to put in their best price. And guess what the person came back at? And the real estate agent said, are you happy with that, Nathan? I went, yes, I'm happy with 502 because the Lord already spoke to me. How cool is that? That's very cool. Very, very cool. I remember at the age of 21 when I was at a, a, a conference up at Katoomba and there was this guy speaking, and I haven't got a clue what he said, but something that he said resonated in my spirit. He said this. He said, I was a, I was a teacher for nine years before I became a pastor. That's what he said on the platform. I don't remember anything else in the message, and I don't even know why. Well, I do now. But what he said stuck with me, and I never, ever forgot it. Now, it must have been the Spirit of God, because I taught for nine years before I became a pastor, some 10 years later. Now, at the time, I didn't know what that was about, but that was God planting a seed in me about my future before I even knew. And now I look back and say, well, that was God was speaking to me about my future, and I didn't even know it. Pretty impressive, eh? Some of the best times in my life have been when I've sat down with a notepad and pen and say, God, speak to me. And he just speaks to me about my identity. He speaks to me about my future, and he, and he reveals his love and his kindness for me. Friends, we need to listen to God because he speaks to us. Now, we can't finish this by saying, we, I can't leave it there because we haven't said the main way God speaks yet. Because the main way, number one way God speaks is through his word. And we need to be in his word. Essentials for a thriving relationship with God, we need to be in his word. This is the main way God speaks. Why should we read it? Psalm 119. Your word, the psalmist writes, your word is a lamp for my feet. And it is a light on my path. When we read the word of God, we are reading about ourselves. Remember, Ken did a message about when we read the scriptures, the scripture speaks to us about who we are. The scripture speaks to us about who God is and how God wants us to live and how he wants us to influence the world around us. God's word is his instruction manual for life. If we want to be intimate with God, if we want to have a strong relationship we need to know what he's saying, and the main way he speaks is through his word. Be in, be in the word, friends. One of the things we've been doing in our life groups is version. How many, how many of you guys do a version? Is it helpful? Angie, is it helpful for you? You love it. Some people said to me, um, it's not enough for me. I said, well, do version and your version. You like that? version and your version. It's just good to have a community where you can be held accountable and read the Bible together. And in your life groups, you can say, this is what we read. What are you being challenged on? Friends, be in the word. Number four, worship. Now, when we talk about worship, we say worship is a lifestyle. Worship is about honoring God in every moment of our lives, in the way that we speak, in the way that we act, in the way that we live. Worship is a lifestyle. But there's also something really special when we use 
words to declare his goodness. When we sing songs to declare his goodness, it's actually his will that we do that. We see in, I wrote down some things, the Psalms, over and over and over again, we have songs of praise. We have the angels worshipping God at the birth of Jesus. We have on Palm Sunday the people declaring, Hosanna, which is, a, which is a declaration of praise, meaning that the Lord saves. On Palm Sunday, when Jesus walked into Jerusalem. In Colossians and Ephesians, Paul writes, Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to the Lord. In the book of Revelation, we have the angelic beings continually worshipping. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. Friends, it is God's will for us to worship through song to shout and declare God's praise, Psalm 100, 100. It says, shout for joy to the Lord. It doesn't say, if you feel like it. In your opinion, if, it, if it's a good idea, no, it's a command. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship with, mm, I like you, God, you're okay. Gladness, come before him with joyful song. I've been watching more football lately and the Commonwealth Games. And, and the soccer, and you have the Wanderers fans who just pulled out of the next games because the FFA doesn't like how the Wanderers are worshipping. I'm going to use worshipping their team. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, these, 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 these crowds celebrate their team winning. And their heroes, Jonathan Thurston, kicking field goals in the last minute. And the crowd erupts. And when their team scores, the crowd yells out, yes, and screams. How much more on a Sunday morning do we gather and we worship the God that who has defeated death and he's coming again and he's Lord? How much louder, how much bigger and stronger and noisy should our worship be on a Sunday when we gather to worship our God? Our worship should be more like a football stadium than a cemetery. <laughs> it shouldn't be dead. It should be alive. How often do you shout? For joy in the Lord, for the Lord in worship. God, thank you. Shout, praise, clap, dance, cheer. And when they cheer, they all do this. When people stand up and cheer, they don't go, yes. They all go, yes. They lift their hands. It's natural to worship like that. How often do we go, thank you, Lord, for who you are and what you've done? Let's change the culture of LifeGate Church into a football stadium. We worship our God. Last one. Last one. Fifth one for essentials for, th- for a thriving relationship with God. Fifth one is this. Walking with God. Walking with God. Sometimes I talk to people and say, um, so how's your walk with God? And they go and tell me about their quiet times. Well, I'm reading this in the Bible, and that's a really good thing. And I'm praying about this, and that's a really good thing. And I spend 10 minutes a day, or do you version, and that's good. And, and we want to celebrate that. But then other times I talk to people and I say, well, I walk with God throughout the day, meaning I read the Bible and then I talk to him throughout the day. I ask his opinion. I ask him to help. I ask him to help me in the next meeting, in the next conversation, with the next task. I walk with God each day. And I reckon that is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful picture of what a thriving relationship with God can look like where it's not just 10 minutes in the morning or 10 minutes at night, and that's a good thing. Do that 10 minutes, please. I'm not knocking that. That is great. But imagine if you took him with you throughout the day. He's with you anyway, but if you acknowledge that he was there and you spoke to him and you talked with him and you thanked him, that's a beautiful flower. 
she's a really beautiful woman. You just thank God. Talk to him throughout the day. How's you, Shel? <laughs> the psalmist writes this. This is a beautiful picture of a man who walked with God. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the, the darkest valley, the most difficult place, I will fear no evil for you are with me. No matter what season I'm in, God, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Wherever I'm at, I'm walking with God. Walk with God. So friends, as we come to the end of this message, I've talked about a thriving relationship with God being these five things. Talk to God, listen to God, reading the Bible, worship, and walking with God. Let's get real, friends. Are you ready to get for a get real moment? Here's our get real moment. If you had to scale your relationship with God based on those things out of 10, you never talk to God, listen to God, read the Bible, worship, walk with God. That's where you get a one. If you rarely do it, if you sometimes use it, if you're always doing that thing, you get a 10. How would you do, what number would you give yourself right now? Let's get real. Based on though the criteria is talk to God, listen to God, reading Bible, worship, walking with God. If they're the things that help you have a thriving relationship with God, what number would you give yourself? Get real moment. Are you happy with that number? Oh, that's a tough question, isn't it? Are you happy with that number? And you might be. If you're an 8 out of, eight of, eight out of 10, that's pretty awesome, I reckon. If you're not happy with that number, what number would you like to have? And what would you need to do to get to that new number? Let's get real. Don't just look at me actually processing your head, yeah? What would you need to do? What steps would you need to take? Talk to God, listen to God, read the Bible, worship, prayer, walk with Him. What would, what would need to change for you to get to that new number? If you're taking notes, write down that thing that needs to change. Do one thing. Don't do three. You won't do three, but you might do one. Go for one thing. This is the take action bit. What are you going to do differently? I started this message by asking you, how would you be described today if you died today at your funeral around your relationship with God? We then said, how would you like to be described? Well, this is pretty much the same thing. This, this our new number that you want to give yourself. If you want to be described in that, in that way, someone who talked to God, listened to God regularly in the Word, worshipped and walked with God throughout the day, if you want to be described as someone who did that always, usually, regularly, what would need to change for you to do that?
and hopefully you've written some things down this morning.